13 years ago today, on November 15, 2007, the tragic ending to a high school love affair rocked my family like it had never been rocked before. It was on that day that my sister Karen was murdered and her husband Dick committed suicide. This is a story everyone has heard too many times in the past, and although it's tragic when you hear about it from another family's point of view. It's even more so when it is your family. The questions that run through your mind when you hear of other tragedies are magnified and it becomes more numbing and crushing after the initial shock has subsided. How could this have happened? Why didn't we see the warning signs? Why didn't the authorities step in? Those and so many more questions are what you normally think about. But in Karen's case, it was something that we knew was a very definite possibility of happening. And even then, it couldn't be prevented. We had found out about Karen's abusive marriage in 2005, when she escaped the house and found her way into an emergency women's shelter. And it was at that time when those initial questions came to our minds. We found out that for 33 years, Karen had lived in this abusive and controlling household and had suffered in silence alone. Now, we knew that Dick had a controlling personality, but never in a million years did we suspect or know anything about what had been going on. It was shocking to hear all those stories when we were finally able to get Karen to a place where we could help protect her. Why did she say so long if it was as bad as she said? Why didn't she let one of us know? How could she get up every day and still have that amazing smile on her face to hide her pain? If I hadn't gone through an abusive relationship a few years earlier, I wouldn't have understood the answers to those questions. And it was exactly because I had escaped my own abusive relationship in, 20, uh, in 2002 that Karen knew I understood what she might be feeling and why she stayed. Quite frankly, before I found myself in those circumstances, if I had heard of someone being murdered in a domestic violence case, I would have been saying out loud, why don't you just leave? And it's hard to blame someone for thinking or asking that out loud because it's such an obvious question as to why anyone would allow themselves to say to stay in an unsafe relationship. Was it love? Yes. Was it for security? Yes. Was it fear? Yes. Was it shame? Definitely yes. Back in the late 1990s, I was in my early 40s and felt really good about my life. Probably the best I had felt in many years up until that point. I was confident, spontaneous had a great sense of humor, had over 10 years of sobriety, a good job, and thought I had it all, except for a relationship. That changed when I met him. Things started really good, lots of laughs, doing things together, and like most relationships that start to get serious, we eventually moved in together into his one-bedroom apartment. And 
Things change so slowly sometimes that it's hard to realize that anything you do together had to align to what he wanted to do. Where you went to eat had to be his restaurants. If he wants to get together with friends, it's his friends only. And I was rarely invited. Contacts with my friends were minimal and usually only if he was there to see what I was doing and saying. Physical violence wasn't usually there, but it was more controlling through verbal, mental, and sexual intimidation and abuse. And before I knew it, I was isolated from everyone except those I worked with, but that was restricted to only work hours. After work, I was expected to be home and sit and wait for him to finish work and hope he came home right away. The anxiety of never knowing what his moods might be was excruciating. When he was in a good mood, I felt on top of the world. And other times, it was like I was constantly walking on eggshells, afraid I might say or do something that would set him off. Eventually, it just got too much, and I found myself being chased around the apartment with him waving a frying pan at me and yelling. My thoughts eventually turned to, can I grab that knife from the kitchen the next time I pass if I had to? I knew I had to leave, otherwise it was going to get a lot worse and fast. So after about three years or so of us being together, I arranged to, to get help from my sister to help me leave the apartment because I couldn't do it on my own. And I was going to leave everything behind and only take my clothes. That's how desperate I was to get out. So when Karen called us to say she was in a woman's shelter, I knew how she felt and that conversation of why she stayed so long didn't come up between her and I. I know, I, I knew that you could love someone so deeply and wanted to work so badly and hope the next time it would be different. But it's usually only different in the sense that it was worse than the time before. The fact that Karen had finally reached the point where her life was on the line and she managed to get out alive at first was all that mattered. The long and painful healing process could start for her. And now you have to understand that when one finally gets out of an abusive relationship, every bit of your sense of self has been stripped from you and you feel just like an empty shell. There is no substance there. It's only a feeling of dread and shame and hurt and anger. And the anger is not directed at him, but at yourself for letting yourself get into that situation. Trying to integrate back into normal routine without looking over your shoulder for fear he might be there takes a long time. And it was years for me to get to the point where I could walk outside and go to some of the places we, we used to go to without wondering or fearing if he was going to be there and what might happen if we actually saw each other. And it was very much the same for Karen. Karen stayed with me for some time after she left the women's shelter and she always had the blinds closed and rarely ever went outside on her own. And if she did, it was very brief. 
But after many months, Karen started to feel strong enough so she could start to move forward and try to put her life together. And with that, she moved, moved back so she could be closer to her home so she could get it ready to sell and to get a divorce. The lawyers got a restraining order to keep them away from Karen. The courts started off with an understanding tone knowing that it was a domestic violence case. But eventually, legalities take the humanity away and it was just business as usual. Restraining orders were tested by him to see what ramifications, if any, would happen if he broke them. But Karen continued to get stronger and was determined to move forward. The courts and lawyers finally set a date to finalize the, the divorce and allow for the house to be sold. And Karen was very hopeful and happy that it would soon be over. It was at this point in time that my sister and I cautioned Karen to stay away from the home and let others finish off the painting and other things that needed to be done. But she trusted the system would, would work to help keep her safe. She was wrong. What you have to remember is that abusers are sick and they feel the need for that control. If they don't have control or feel that or feel that they're going to lose control and therefore everything that they feel they need control over, they get really dangerous. If they're going to lose everything, you're not going to have it either. It becomes an all or nothing situation in their mind. So when he realized that on the 19th of November 2007, he might lose his home and have his marriage ended, he put his plan in place. He had access to the house because he was still living in it. And according to the rules imposed by the courts, if Karen wanted access to the house to get it ready for putting it on the market, he would leave so she could be there on her own to do what needed to be done. The morning of November 15th, 2007, was a typical fall day for the lower mainland of BC. It was cool and wet. And with only four days before the scheduled court date that would finally allow Karen to move forward and sell her house, she set out to finish some yard work and touch-ups at the house. She said her goodbyes to mom and said that she would be back in time for dinner. The day went on as planned and by mid-afternoon, Karen turned her attention to the basement baseboards that needed some paint touch-ups. Karen was happily working away on her hands and knees, meticulously painting the baseboards. She had her earphones on, listening to her religious program and songs that she was never allowed to listen to when she lived there in the house with him. As Karen was nearing the end of the basement hallway, unbeknownst to her, he had let himself into the house, crept down the stairs, quietly snuck up behind Karen, and with rope in hand, changed our lives forever. She didn't have a chance. As she lay dead in the basement hallway, he turned on the natural gas line so it began pouring into the basement. 
He then carried Karen's lifeless body to the master bedroom upstairs and laid her on the bed. And after pouring gas throughout the house, he set it on fire. As the, as the flames started to engulf the house from the basement upwards through the kitchen, living room, and as the flames made their way to the bedroom where Karen lay, and he stood in the closet doorway with a rope now around his neck, he hung himself in front of Karen so she would be the last thing he would see. This is not how high school love stories should end. But for many, this is the reality of it. The question that I had and has never been answered is how could the lawyers in courts who had originally assured Karen that they would protect her through the process had forgotten about the domestic violence case that prompted the divorce case? What did the lawyers say to the judge that following Monday morning when the case was supposed to be heard? What did the judge feel when she realized that both parties in the case before her had been lost to murder-suicide? Would everyone take the next case like this more seriously? I'll never know the answer to those questions. It's funny that I can answer the question of why did Karen stay so long in that situation, but I can't answer if anything changed in how lawyers and courts view domestic violence when they failed in protecting Karen. Domestic violence affects everyone. We all know someone who has gone through some type of abusive relationship, but it's, it's rare that we know what to do to help those that might be living through it. It's not an easy thing to deal with because people don't want to get involved. Karen's story is a prime reason why you need to get involved. Not to take sides, but to help protect the person that's being abused. Abuse is hidden in plain sight because people remain silent. Silence kills. It affects more people than we realize because, because it's done behind closed doors. In Calgary, Alberta, a city of 1.4 million people, in 2020, there were, were approximately 15,100 calls related to family violence between the 1st of January and the 30th of September that was reported to the police. That's 55 calls a day for 274 days. That's an average of about two calls per hour every day the police service has to deal with. And it's estimated that that number could be lower because the perpetrator has been quarantined with, with the abused for, for much of the year. And any number that's reported never takes into the account into account how many cases of abuse are never reported. So we'd never really know the true, the true number. November is Family Violence Awareness Month, and I can tell you that there's, it's never easy reliving my story in my head, and it's even more difficult to retell my sister Karen's story. Thirteen years ago today, we not only lost our sister, but we also lost our brother-in-law that was in our lives for 35 years. He didn't have to die either. But that is the result the illness of control too often gives us. Educate yourself to know the signs of abuse. Listen for the clues. Don't be afraid to ask the person you think might be in an abusive relationship if they are okay. 
offer your unjudgmental support that they need to get out. And if you're the one that's in that relationship, know that there are many agencies that can help you and will help you. And make a safe plan to leave. And know that you are worth more than you're currently living. Take it from me that when you question whether or not you can survive alone if you leave, remember this. You survived the abuse. You're going to survive the recovery. Until next time, cheers.